You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. One of the most misunderstood topics today in our culture, especially within uh, kind of Christianity, I think, is the topic of worship. And I've discussed this in the past before, but a lot of times when you talk about worship with people, they immediately think of singing. And so we have the worship um, part of the service, and then we have the preaching part, um, like somehow they're disconnected. Or um, churches will hire a worship pastor um, because they want him to come and lead the music. And I understand um, the terminology, um, and you can say, well, you're just nitpicking the words. But I do think it's important the way we use our words because the Bible gives us a definition of worship. And if we have a narrow view of worship, then we're only going to think of worship when we're singing. But the Bible speaks of worship in a much broader way. And if you remember in our series on Devoted, when I preached on worship, I defined it for you this way. Worship is treasuring God above all else and responding in awe with our hearts, minds, and actions. It's recognizing the infinite value and beauty and glory of God and then basically just giving our lives to Him. And so, yes, you can worship in singing, but you can also worship during the preaching and you can worship during the offerings and you can worship at work tomorrow if you do that for his glory. You can worship while you change dirty diapers. You can worship while you cut the grass. Um, Paul said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Right? Everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to drink to live. And he, and he picked those to show there's nothing that we, we can do on this earth, no task, obviously, besides sin, uh, no task on this earth that we can do that isn't an act of worship if we have our hearts and minds in the right place. And the way I kind of tried to help you understand this definition is I gave you an illustration that I heard uh, from Tim Keller. And he said, imagine that a woman is going through her jewelry drawer and she finds a, a piece of jewelry. It's kind of old and dusty. It's been there for years. It was kind of passed down from her mom. And she's like, I'm going to sell some of this jewelry. And so she takes it into the jewelry shop and, and they're going through it and pricing it. And they get to that piece and, and the jeweler just stops. And he zooms in with his little eyepiece and he looks up at her. He's short of breath. And he says, ma'am, this piece of jewelry is one of the most rare pieces of jewelry in all the world. It's worth more than I can even put a price on, and you own it. Now imagine how that would change that woman's perspective of that jewelry, right? I mean, everything would change. Before, it was just kind of tossed around in her drawer, but now she's either you know, putting it up online for really high bids, or, or, or she's putting it in a, in a case on her shelf, and I mean, she's treasuring it, and, and man, her, her life's going to change radically because she understood the value of that piece of jewelry. And, and that's the same when it comes to our Creator. You know, we are all born into this world sinners, separated from God and blinded by our sin, and we don't recognize the value of God. We live our lives almost as if He doesn't exist. But when we hear the Gospel, that we are sinners, that we are rebels, but that He loved us enough to send Jesus to die for our sins, and when we hear that we can be reconciled to God, and we place our faith in Jesus alone to save us, He opens our eyes And we see the beauty and the value and the glory and the majesty of God. And we respond with our lives. Everything about us changes when we understand the value of Jesus Christ. And that's that's what worship is, right? It's treasuring God above everything else and responding in awe. And so the question you have to ask yourself to know kind of what am I worshiping is to ask yourself, what are you living for? 
right? Everybody is naturally a worshiper. It's hardwired into us. And so everyone ascribes ultimate worth or value to something. Everyone is living for something and it orients their entire life. So think about it. Everyone has that one thing that they're dependent on. That one thing that they're desperate for. That one thing that they're so afraid of losing. It's the one thing that if anybody threatens it, you, you tend to freak out. Because that's, that's that one thing that you're so centered on. For some, it's money. That they live their entire lives revolved around this idea, if, if I just have money, things are going to be okay. And when that is threatened, we start to panic and we start to freak out a little bit because our entire life is wrapped up in our money. For some, it's comfort. We just want to be comfortable. For some, it's achievement. Man, we want to climb that ladder. We want to be recognized as successful. We want people to look at us and think, wow, look at that person. And when that gets threatened, man, we, we feel depressed and discouraged. For some, it's, it's relationships. And when they don't get that approval from that one relationship, they bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship looking for it. So ask yourself, what's that one thing that you're, you're really, really wanting? When you lay your head down at night, what's the thing that kind of keeps you up that you think about? What do you orient your life around? Because if it's not Jesus Christ, you're going to be empty. You're going to be unsatisfied. You're not going to be living how you were created to live. That void, that vacuum within you can only be filled by the glory of Jesus Christ. And until you recognize that and and the infinite treasure of that and, and orient your entire life around that, then life isn't going to really make sense. There's not going to be that joy and that peace and that love that comes from knowing God and how valuable he truly is. And today in our passage, we're going to get a picture for us, a beautiful picture of what it looks like to recognize the glory and the value and the beauty of Jesus and then to just respond in almost reckless abandonment. That's what we see with our story um, today with Mary. She really treasured Jesus, and you're going to see that here. Now, before we jump in, I just want to give you a quick background. As I mentioned earlier, the Gospel of John, many scholars break it up into two parts, section one and section two. And section one focuses on the signs and the public ministry of Jesus, and it's often called the Book of Signs. And then section two focuses on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and it's often called the Book of Glory. And so chapters 1 through 11 make up that book of signs. And and then the rest of the book makes up the book of glory. And chapter 12 kind of works as a transition between the two. It's kind of part of section 1, but it's kind of part of section 2. And it it brings us into um, the next section of the book. And if you remember a few weeks ago on Easter, we were in John 11. And we looked at the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And we saw at the end of that chapter, right before where we are today, that the religious authorities had kind of reached a climax in their hatred for Jesus. Um, it had been growing all throughout the book. And in chapter 11, it's like, okay, we've we got to kill this guy. Everybody's following him. He just raised the guy from the dead. We don't know how he did it, but we have to put this guy to death. And what John is doing, he's a great writer, is he's trying to build this climax for us to show, okay... It's time now. And the rest of the book's really going to focus on his death, burial, and resurrection and his final moments with his disciples before that. Um, but, but here in chapter 12, we get a transition of that. We see in our story today a, a little foreshadowing of his death when she anoints um, him. And then, and then we're going to see the triumphal entry um, into Jerusalem and, and some other things in this chapter. But today we're just going to look at verses 1 through 9. And it's very short. I want to highlight three truths about Mary's worship that we can kind of apply to our own. But let's read through that together in John chapter 12. 
It says this, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Now, I want to I pause there. I want you to think about how often can you say that about someone? Yeah, this is the guy that was dead, but now he's alive. <laughs> Not very often, right? It's kind of cool that um, you just throw that out in the verse. Um, verse 2, There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Can you imagine that? I mean, he was, he was just dead for four days, and now he's just at a table, just eating. Like, imagine the people at the table, like, he's really alive. Like, he, this is real, right? That wasn't a dream. He's just sitting there chilling, eating food. Verse 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. One of my commentaries pointed out with this verse, it says there's not a more pleasant aroma than when Jesus is given his rightful place. And I love how John puts it. The house was filled with it. Like everybody could smell this beautiful ointment from this anointing. Verse 4, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him? Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Now, I want you to think about this. And, and there's, there's kind of a, a, a contrast between Mary and Judas here. Mary recognizes the value of Jesus and just reckless abandonment. But Judas is very focused on money. And, and I want you to imagine being John here. Uh, many of the disciples, they point out when they write about Judas, the one that would betray him. Can you imagine being with someone for three years? I mean, we've only been a church for two and a half. Imagine if someone in our midst here turns out that they are um, not even close to believing and, and they hate God and they're just looking for a chance to sabotage Jesus and his ministry. That's, that's what it would have been like um, for, for these disciples. Like they knew Judas, like he had the money back. Like they, he was the guy trusted and and now when they write about it, they can't help but put the one that should betray him. But John's making a contrast here. We talked about earlier, what is, what is your life oriented around? I think with Judas, it was money. He had the Lord of glory in his presence. He had God in the flesh in his presence. He saw miracle after miracle. He saw lives transformed. He saw the, the eyes of the blind opened. He saw people who were lame Get back up. But all he cared about was that money bag. And he had his hand in it. And he was stealing from it. And Mary comes in to worship Jesus. And all he can think about is, man, if if we could have got that ointment and sold it, we could have gave it to the poor and I could have pocketed half of it. All he cared about was money. And Jesus is right there. And I just wonder if we were to look at our lives today, what do we prioritize? What's the priority in our lives? What are, what are we focusing on? And Mary, her worship in this passage is often preached on. You, you've probably heard this story, and it was so hard for me to even begin to exhaust this beautiful display of worship. But I try to find three truths that we can highlight, because if I do more than three, it normally goes longer than 30. And, and so I, I try to narrow it down to three. So let's look, first of all, that we should worship Jesus with devotion. You can see the devotion of Mary in this passage by her willingness to worship regardless of the cost. 
Verse 5 says that this ointment was worth around 300 pence, which was about a year's wage for the average worker. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just throwing a year's wage in the offering plate today? I mean, this was ointment. It wasn't like she could save it. Like, she dumped it out. It's gone. Just a year's wage, gone, just like that. Can you imagine that? Or I'm going to take a year's wage and just put it in the plate today. I mean, we'll be thankful for it if you do. (laughs) You know, we're not going to stop you, right? But but I I want you to see this. Like, this is reckless abandonment and Mary's love for Jesus. This is treasuring God above all else. This is seeing Jesus as so infinitely valuable that this year's worth of wages is nothing compared to him. I want to just completely pour it out on him. That is worshiping with devotion. You know, it's possible that this family was um, a very wealthy family. Um, We know that they had influence because in John 11, many people were coming to to kind of comfort them after the loss of Lazarus. Um, So it's possible they were wealthy, they were high up in society, and they were able to afford things like that. Or what's possible is that this was a family heirloom that was kind of passed down to Mary. And she was saving it. Many times people would save up for things like this and save it for their own burial. To be anointed with. Now, I want you to think about this. What did we just read about in John 11? That her brother had died. And she didn't use the ointment. So if it was a family heirloom that she had in her possession that she was saving for her burial. I mean, if there's one person you would use it for, you would think your sibling. But she didn't use it for him. That's how valuable this piece was for her. But, but something happened. Something shifted in her mind. From our last story to hear that she had that. And she said, I know who I want to use this for. I want to break this open and I want to pour it out on my Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and you can see this act of devotion that she takes this expensive ointment and, and she doesn't even, doesn't even think twice about it. I mean, the, the disciples are like kind of outraged by this. Like, what is she doing? Like, what, what are you, you only need a little bit of that stuff, right? Like, what, what are you doing? And she doesn't care because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worthy of complete devotion. And look, I understand that there are few here that could put a year's wage in the offering plate. That's not what I'm getting at here. But what I do want you to consider is, do you worship with devotion, with passion, Like, do you give your all to Jesus, or is it just kind of the leftovers? This is convicting for me. In our culture, we we kind of give give God a few minutes in the morning with our Bible, and then we spend like hours watching TV and scrolling through our phones. And I'm not trying to beat you over the head with this, but come on, let's, let's recognize how worthy Jesus is. He's the Lord of glory. He created us. He spoke us into existence. Then he stepped into our reality and took our sins to the cross. He's worthy of our devotion. And we see that here with Mary. Not only that, worship Jesus with devotion. Secondly, worship Jesus with humility. Now, ladies, um, you can kind of imagine this more than us men because I don't see any guys with with long hair. but, But you can kind of get the picture here. Can you imagine busting into a dinner party... And, and letting down your hair and dumping out ointment and wiping someone's feet with your hair. Now, again, that would be kind of difficult for, for, for me to do. But either way, you can see this is, this is a pretty humble act for Mary. 
Now, um, you do have to understand that she wasn't crawling under the table and getting up on, on Jesus' feet there. The way they ate back in there that day is it would be kind of a U-shape. I was going to show it. Tell you want to come lay down? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, they would lean on their elbow, and they would kind of eat with their feet away from the table. So this was very easy for her to access. It wasn't like she was under the table, you know, dumping it on his feet. Um, and the other Gospels talk about um, a similar story in her dumping it on his head. And so we, we think she just basically covered his body with it. Um, and, and then she got to her feet, and, and she started wiping his feet um, with her hair. Now, what, what I want to point out here is what a humble act this was. Like, we are so big on what people think of us in our culture, right? There, there's a book out there with a the cover. It just says, when people are big and God is small. That's how we live our lives. People are big, God is small. And we live our lives to please others, for people to look at us, to what do they think of us? And, and, and we forget about God. Like, what does he think of us? I, I am so, it's so hard as a preacher even um, to be preparing my sermon and worry about what you guys think. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't worry about what you guys think. I first have to consider what does God think. And, and as I preach, I try to preach God's word because he is more important to me than you. And I love you. But his approval is more important. And, and at this point, Mary goes into this place and she kind of makes a fool of herself. Right? I mean, from the outside world, she looked dumb. What are you doing? That's a waste of money. You didn't need to use that much. And you're, you got your hair down. Women wouldn't let their hair down in public because it was such a strong sign of affection in those days. And yet she has her hair down, wiping his feet with her hair. I mean, that would look pretty foolish. And we can see from the world's perspective, from Judas, I mean, he was, he was mad. Like, this is a waste. So mad that he's, he had the audacity to talk about it publicly. Like, what is she doing? Well, we should have sold this and gave it to the poor. Even though we all know he just wanted it for himself. But I mean, it was, it was recognized by the disciples as a pretty foolish thing to do. And I don't know if Mary um, understood the criticism that she was going to receive here. I don't know if she was prepared for that. Um, but I don't really think she cared. I think at this point, she was so overwhelmed by her love for Jesus that she humbled herself and, and just didn't really care about the room of onlookers. I mean, busting into a dinner party and doing this in front of all those people. She didn't care. And what's interesting about Mary is if you study her life, you'll find her oftentimes in the presence of Jesus right at his feet. It's, it's really quite remarkable. In chapter 11, we just read about it at the funeral. She runs to Jesus, and what does she do? She falls at his feet. And we also read in Luke chapter 10 when Martha is serving and Mary is at Jesus' feet hearing his word. And, and Jesus says one thing is needful and Mary's chosen that good part. Mary was someone who was willing to humble herself and to get at the feet of her Lord. And again, I think sometimes we don't step out and live for God as an act of worship because we're so consumed about what people think. And, and I just wonder when we stand before God in all his glory and all his beauty and all his radiance. And we read about it in Isaiah and in John and both of them fell on their faces, dead men. But when we realize the infinite value of God, we're going to feel pretty dumb about how we cared about our coworkers or our friends. I mean, I look back at myself in high school. I was in, in elementary. I was like Bible boy. I was sharing the gospel with everyone. I was bringing my Bible to to school and everybody knew I was a preacher's kid and I got made fun of and I didn't care. I was going to be a preacher. But around that junior high, high school age, man, I really started to worry about what people think. 
And I really tried to tone it down because I understood that Bible Boy wouldn't really get the ladies, right? Bible Boy wouldn't be really popular on the sports team. And so I kind of toned it down. And I look back at those years and, and man, I regret it. Like, who is important? God. What he thinks. I'm not saying just be a fool all the time and look stupid. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, like, who are you focusing on when you live your day-to-day life? Who are you trying to to gain approval from? First of all, you don't have to gain approval from God. He already approves of you because of Jesus, which is incredible. But step into that identity and recognize, I don't need the approval of my boss or my coworkers or my friends. I have the approval of the only one who really matters. And live in light of that. Live a life of worship with humility because you don't really care about what other people think. That's what we see here with Mary. She... She humbled herself in this. And I really can't emphasize enough how, how shameful this would have been in those, in those days. Not only to burst into a room full of men at the table, but, but to let down her hair like that and to dump out that ointment like that. It was such an act of humility. She, she really went low. And what's beautiful is in a, in a few chapters, we read in the next chapter that Jesus is going to wipe the disciples' feet. But before that happens, Mary is at his feet wiping his feet. It was an act of humility. So worship Jesus with devotion and with humility. But lastly, worship Jesus with urgency. After getting criticized by those in the room, especially Judas, Jesus quick to defend her act of worshiping and rebuke those who criticize. And we see in verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, Let her alone. Like, guys, lay off. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Jesus is not teaching here that we should neglect the poor. If you get that, you completely missed it. What he's pointing out to his disciples is his earthly ministry is going to end very, very soon. And he's tried, to, he's tried to tell that to them so many times and they're just not getting it. <laughs> he's like, guys, the poor are going to be with you always. But I'm not always going to be with you in the flesh like this. And he's been trying to tell them this, and they continually miss the point. But something in Mary gave her an urgency to say, I'm going to do this right now. I don't know what it was, but, but she burst into that room and had an urgency about her worship. And we don't know if she knew the significance of this, because, because later when Jesus does die, she seems to lose hope like everyone else. So, so some people teach that she was doing this because she knew he was going to die soon. Um, we don't really know that, but we do know there was an urgency about this. And Jesus uses this to foreshadow his death. He says, this is for my burial. And, and so she has this urgency about this, but she, she didn't wait for a funeral. She did it while he was alive. She wanted to show Jesus her love right there and then. And this isn't the direct application I think that John is trying to give us, but there is a lesson we can learn from this. I think a lot of times we have really good intentions when it comes to worshiping God. When it comes to serving God with our lives, I mean, great intentions. If I asked you, like, do you want to make a difference with your life for God? You'd say, amen, yes, definitely. But what we do is we just put it off. And we 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 put it off. And, and one day we had a life full of good intentions. But we didn't really do anything for God. And, and Mary said, I don't know what happened between the raising of Lazarus. I mean, that would make an impact on her. 
Right? Him saying, I am the resurrection and the life. But between that and here, she had that bottle of, an, of ointment that was worth a whole year's worth of wages. And she said, I'm going to go pour this out on the only one who matters. And I'm going to do it right now. And, and listen, I, I don't know how long we have to serve the Lord here. I honestly don't know how long you have. James says your life is like a vapor. Go out in the wintertime and exhale and you see that hang there for just a moment and it's gone. And I think so many of us, we have great intentions, right? Like one day I'm going to get more involved in church, and, and one day I'm going to start studying the Bible more, and one day I'm going to share my faith with my coworker, and one day I'll get to it. But one day might never come. That's, that's what our entire series last summer on Ecclesiastes was about, right? Worship God while you're in your youth, right now. You don't know how long you have. So often we put things off thinking that we have tomorrow when we really don't know if that's going to be here. And, and Mary had an urgency in her life to worship Jesus right then and there. And, and I ask you, has the Lord laid it on your heart to share the gospel with someone? Be urgent about it. I'm not saying shove it down their throat, but I'm saying be looking for that opportunity. You don't know how long they have, you don't know how long you have. Be urgent about it. Has the Lord laid it on your heart to get more involved in the church? Be, have some urgency in that. Has the Lord laid it on your heart to mend a broken relationship in your life? Have some urgency about that. Listen, life is too short to wait to serve God. Serve God today. Amen. Worship God today. Amen. Do something for God with your life today. Man, I don't know about you, but having an ointment, a bottle of ointment worth an entire year's wages, I'm the type of person that would really think that through. That's a whole year. And I'd be like, you know, I, I, should, I should give this to Jesus, but he probably, I mean, half of it would be really good. That's six months, right? Like, I, I would wrestle with it, and, and oftentimes we do that, and then we put it off because we, we don't make a decision, we put it off, and then we just don't do anything. But man, Mary... Again, somewhat like, what are you doing? Didn't care. I don't know how long I have Jesus with me, but I want to show him how much I love him. And listen, one day when we get to heaven, we're not going to look back and wish that we had spent more time watching TV or, or being on our little glowing rectangles or more time at, at the office or more time in these different... We're not going to be wishing we would have done that. We're going to wish that we had done more with our lives for God. He's the blazing center of the universe. Like, he is the only one that matters. If we could get that, right? Even me as a pastor. If I could get that and bring that into my daily reality and say, God, there's nothing more important than worshiping you today. All I want to do is hear, well done, when I stand before God one day. There was an urgency for Mary here to worship. And so, as we kind of wrap this up, I want to challenge you today. I want to ask you, which one of these areas do you kind of struggle with? Mary worshiped with devotion, humility, and urgency. Which one of these do you struggle with? Do you give God the leftovers when it comes to your time and your talents and your resources? Are you too prideful to talk about Jesus in front of people? Are you too worried about what the, the room might think, what the crowd might think, what the coworkers or the friends might think? Or maybe you have the, the best intentions in the world. But you've just been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Amen. That's what I want you to get a hold today. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus alone.
Jesus alone. And the gospel says that we are separated from God, that he brings us into that relationship because of Jesus' death on our behalf, that we become sons and daughters of God, that he loves us regardless of how well we worship him. Right? This is not, hey, earn God's favor by worshiping him more. No, no, no. He already loves you more than you can imagine. And now we have the privilege, the right, the pleasure, the joy to worship him, to treasure him above all else in our lives and to respond in awe with our hearts, minds, and actions. Jesus is worthy of our worship. So choose to live a life of worship for him today. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the testimony of Mary. I bet, I bet a lot of people thought she was dumb when she poured that ointment out. But now, she doesn't regret it. <laughs> We're still talking about her. Lord, so often we worry about right now and what people are going to think. And God, help for us to just have that, that abandonment when it comes to worshiping you that nothing else matters in our lives. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.